Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, grab your Bibles and meet me in Romans chapter 7. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1132 in that Bible, Romans chapter 7. And we're excited to kick off a new series today that we're going to be in for the next number of weeks called Authentic Becoming Who We Really Are. And we're going to cover a variety of topics as we go through this. Today's a bit of an overview, a bit of a kickoff. Uh, the series is called Authentic. Today's sermon is actually called Inauthentic because we want to highlight the problem and then take the rest of the series to unpack more and more of the solutions. So we have put together a study guide to go along with this. You can grab these at the hub. They're $5. We don't make any money on that that's just what they cost to produce but this is meant to take the teaching deeper in your life and so if you just listen to the Sunday morning teaching that is good uh, but there's a lot more scripture there's a lot more unpacking in the study guides and a lot more of how do we apply this to our real life in a real practical way and so we encourage you to grab one of those uh, a number of our life groups are going to be going through it as their curriculum as well if you're not in a life group yet uh, these are our midweek groups that meet once a week we would strongly encourage you to jump into one of those as well there's information at the hub. You can sign up there after the service. As we get going, I want to show you a video clip. It's from the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which if you have a child, you have watched 47,000 times in the last number of years. It's been on Netflix for a while. It's an animated movie, and it's a story of a kind of nerdy inventor guy. He invents a machine that allows him to create food at will, and it's the story of how that all goes down. And so in the clip I'm about to show you, uh, he has become famous. A female reporter has come to cover the story and she's very polished and put together but she seems to have some kind of nerdy undertones to her personality and so in this scene we're about to see uh, they're hanging out together with his machine he has created a big jello castle for them to hang out in and they are getting to know each other a little bit better take a look So that sets us up pretty well, and uh, we're going to be looking at things in the series, obviously, from more of a biblical, spiritual point of view. But we learn pretty young that we need to, ex at least to some extent, put someone on that's not really who we are. And we are all on this journey of trying to discover who is the real you. How can we live authentically? How can we live as the person that God has created us to be? How can we be the person that he originally designed us for? And how can we learn more and more how to lean into that and to be that person? So we've heard from Hollywood. Now we're going to hear from Scripture. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 7, and we're starting in verse 14. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yes. And that's maybe, for me, uh, one of the most relatable passages in all of scriptures. Or anyone who doesn't read that and go, oh, wow, that's me for sure. Right? Just this struggle, this human condition. And Paul is not talking about it in the sense of kind of living authentically like we are talking about today. But he's talking about there is just this sense. There is this war within me. There is this tension. I'm not living the way I know I'm supposed to be living. And, and so as we go through this, this uh, passage today, we're just going to pull a few things out of there. And as we look at what Paul has to say, I mean, he's acknowledging where we are all at. And that is, we know something isn't right. Like, Paul wrestles with something that we all wrestle with, starting in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. And maybe that rings really true for you. Why did I just do that stupid thing? Why did I just blow up? Why did I just cross that line? I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I understand that God's word, his standard is right. This is how I'm supposed to be living. I agree that his law, his word is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it. It is sin living in me. He's starting to acknowledge I'm not designed to be doing this, but sin within me is at work. And that's why I'm crossing the lines that I shouldn't cross. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That's a hard passage to read. There's a lot of do, to do, to do, to do, to do as you go through it. The good that I want to do, I can't bring myself to do it. There's evil. I know I shouldn't be doing that anymore. That I keep stumbling into. Like, it's, it's us, right? That's you, and that's me. This, this wrestling match within that I know I'm supposed to be living a certain way, but it is a struggle. And I know there's a high bar that Jesus calls us to live out, and I fall short of that. And I know there's boundary lines into sin that I'm not supposed to cross, but I still struggle and stumble into that stuff. And, and just the, the eternal battle going on within, Paul is acknowledging it, that we all face. And yet within Scripture, there are these great and glorious promises. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil's M.O. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The King James says, life more abundantly. And we have these great promises in Scripture, and yet we're also times where we're saying, I don't feel necessarily like I'm living a super abundant life all the time. I don't always feel victorious. I don't always feel like an overcomer, that, that there are these promises that I wrestle with and struggle with because I don't always see them fully in effect in my life and struggling with the fact that, that God has promised this and called us to this and that sometimes falls short and there's parts of, of sin and, and the old way I used to live that are constantly drawing me back and so there is this struggle going on in, in the Christ follower. 
and, and we are pushing through with faith, we are pushing through with hope, we're not falling into despair, but we're just wanting to be honest about the struggle that even the Apostle Paul had. And that's what I love about this passage, is here is Paul, who saw Jesus face to face, who was caught up into heaven, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who obviously wrote much of the God-inspired New Testament, and here's Paul, this great, powerful, anointed leader, saying, man, I struggle day by day. Man, I am constantly in this wrestling match with myself. There is a lot going on here. And so we live in this tension between the way we are actually living our lives and the way that Scripture calls us to live our lives, between the reality that we're facing and the promises that we're given. And because of that, deep down, even the Christ follower knows that there is more to this life than what we are currently experiencing. And that doesn't need to be kind of a sad, like, wah-wah, like we're missing out. It should be, uh, no, there's more, guys. There is more to pray into. There's more to press into. There's more to fast for. There is more to work for. If abundant life is promised, abundant life is what I want. Abundant life is what I'm shooting for. And I don't ever want my circumstances to decide where my faith level is going to be at. So there is more for us than what we are currently experiencing. And as we acknowledge that, then we have to ask the question, well, what is it that we should be looking for? What are we shooting for? And to answer that, we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, because we know that much of what we struggle with in this life is because of sin and the effects of sin. And I have sinned. I have been sinned against. And because of that, life is a lot harder than God intended it to be. And so to figure out what we were meant for, we want to go back to the Garden. And we're going to go into more detail in this next week. But when Adam and Eve were created originally, before sin enters the world, uh, Adam is made first, and God's says for the first time in the creative process, this isn't quite good enough yet. Because scripture says he made the sky and said it was good. He made the land and said it was good. He made the water and said it was good. He made the plants, the animals, the birds, the fish. It's good, it's good, it's good. He creates man on his own, Adam, and says for the first time, not good enough yet. And ladies, you can rub that in your husband's face as much as you want. And he says it's not good for man to be alone. And even though he was face to face with God, there was no one else like Adam. Adam did not have one of his own kind with him. And so God uh, pulls Eve from Adam. Out of one becomes two separate independent beings with the thought that in marriage they would come back together, two would become one again. And this is the picture that God gives us for how humanity is to function. So Adam and Eve come forward and they walk with God and they walk with each other. And God is there to fulfill every need that they have. And there's a verse in Genesis 2.25 that's hugely important and easy to skip over, but it says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And so as they are sinless, as they are face-to-face -face with God, as they are walking together, they are naked and that's okay. They are okay with that. And it speaks to the innocence in which they are living, obviously, but it speaks to the fact that this was a safe place. The garden was a safe place because we know uh, just instinctually that nakedness is something you're supposed to cover up. It is something that is embarrassing if it's happening. Uh, it's a very common dream that people will have where you show up at high school and you're naked or you show up at your workplace and you're naked. And it's usually associated with humiliation. Like there's something about us that says, no, like we're, we're supposed to be covered. But that wasn't the case before sin entered the world. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve could be vulnerable. They could be exposed before God and before one another. It was a safe place. And there was no shame involved. There was no pain involved. That was the perfect way that they were living out their existence. And God was going to be the fulfillment of every need they would ever have. 
God would be there to take care of everything they needed as they walked face to face with him. But the serpent comes along and God had said to Adam and Eve, there's a tree here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You stay away from that tree. You don't need that tree. And really the heart of it was, you have me. I am all the knowledge you're ever going to need. And so you don't need that. The serpent came along and said, you do need that. Because if you partake of that, you will be like God. And so it wasn't just about crossing a line that God had drawn in the sand. It was that, but it was more than that. The serpent came along, the devil, the tempter comes and says, you can do this by yourself. Cross this line and you won't need God. You will be like God on your own. And then you won't need to depend on him for everything. And so Adam and Eve crossed that line. And then they find out very quickly that the serpent was wrong. He was lying. They, they learn that, you know, we actually do need God in this life. We actually can't do this by ourselves. We can't be God-like. We actually need to depend on him. And because of sin, we got separated from him. And every human being ever since, including you and me, has bought into that same lie that says, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. That's the nature of all sin. That whatever God has said, I don't have to listen to it. That whatever boundaries God has put in place, uh, it's better for me if I do my own thing. That I don't need to pray. That mankind can accomplish what it wants on its own by our hard work and our ingenuity. We have all bought into the lie. We have all fallen into that trap that Adam and Eve did. So don't ever think, well, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have eaten the apple. Yes, you would. You have. You do. We all have fallen victim to that same thing. Sin enters into the world, and with sin comes a whole lot of pain. And all of a sudden, the world is not a safe place anymore. Because we sin, and we sin and hurt others, and others sin and hurt us. And the world, all of a sudden, is not a safe place to be vulnerable and to be authentic anymore. And so because we cannot uh, get over the sin problem on our own, because we have been sinned against, we have been hurt, we have been wounded, we have been broken, there is shame, there is pain, there's all these things that we're carrying. Because of that, we are not our true selves. We are not living the way that God intended us to live. And Paul speaks to this in Romans 7:21. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So again, Paul's specifically talking about the struggle of good and evil. He's not talking about authentic the way we're talking about it in this series. But what he's saying is there is a God-created way that I recognize I'm supposed to be living and I just can't get there. Like I am continually battling this sin within me. There is this war within me. There there is this tension within me, and I'm smart enough to recognize that there is a problem here, but I am not able to save myself from this problem. I'm not smart enough to solve this all by myself. And so acknowledging that, yeah, there is more. I'm not living the way I'm supposed to be living. I'm not expressing the way I'm supposed to be expressing. I'm not loving the way I'm supposed to be loving. And so where there is sin and where there is hurt and where there is shame and where there is pain, we fall into what Christian theologians and Christian counselors have called the false self. And we live not the way we were intended to live by God. We live out of the false self. And every single person on earth has fallen into this same thing. When we talk about the false self, we're talking about the person we put on in order to get by in life. And again, we learn young. Uh, one book I was reading by a Christian psychologist was saying, even from infancy, 
uh, we start to pick up that there are certain things about our behavior that are not acceptable, that need to be shifted. Not all of that is a bad thing, because when we're little, we're usually pretty selfish and kind of jerky. And so our parents have to teach us how to share and teach us how to be kind. And so there are aspects of it that are good. But very young, we learn that not everything that we want to do is acceptable. Not everything about who we are is acceptable. And so very young, either to please parents or please kids at school or please teachers or whoever, we start to learn that we need to put on somebody else who's not our real self, but we need to put someone on in order to get by. Some of it happens very legitimately uh, through being wounded, right? And when we've been wounded by parents or by the bullies at school or, or as we grow up in life, as we get wounded by people we trust, as we get wounded by an ex-spouse, like these things happen and the walls go up. Right? The heart gets harder, not out of anyone's fault, you know, I mean your own fault, but just it gets calloused in order to protect itself. And so we live out of this sense of false self, and it is a universal human condition because ultimately I don't want you guys to know the sin that lives inside of me. I don't want you to know my failings as a husband and as a father. I don't want you to know my failings as a leader, as a pastor. I don't want you to know uh, the darkness that is inside me. And so I have to put something on so that you guys don't see that. I put on something that, that will keep you enough away that you don't ever get close to that. And I will put a lot of energy into making sure that I keep up this facade. And it's something we all struggle with. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're false. Turn back and say, I know. Good, we're acknowledging the problem. The first step is to acknowledge the problem, that this is something that we are all going through. And so some of this for me, I have, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I've been meeting with a Christian counselor for the last couple of years and just working through some stuff. A lot of this stuff has come up for me in this area. And so he had given me a few things to, uh, just to start to recognize where, where am I uh, living out of this false self? Where is, have I put on masks and how can I start to notice where that is in my life? So here's a few things he gave that can help us out is he said, look for your life, look in your life for where you get defensive. Where do you get defensive in your life? Because we all get criticized sometimes, we all get people who come and say things, and, uh, and it may be true or it may be not true, but in a perfect world, if someone were to come to me and say, you're bald, Chris, I mean, it's, it's insightful, I know. Hey, baldy, how do you like being bald over there? It's either true or it's not true. And if it's true, then it's just true. And if it's not true, then it shouldn't matter what they said, right? You should be able to just dismiss it because, well, I, I know who I am and that's just that. Um, if someone comes along and, and criticizes you as a parent or, or your spouse says something to you or your boss says something to you or, or someone in the church says something to you, what is your response to that criticism? Because often we can get really defensive. And when we're getting defensive, it's because I don't like how it feels that you're getting a little too close to what's actually going on in here, and I don't want to acknowledge that that's there. So look in our lives. Where are we getting defensive? Where do we push back? Right? If you've ever, you know, someone comes and says, well, you know, I don't like this thing that you're doing, and you go, well, you do that too, and you do all these other things as well. Right? Right away, we start, we can push back and get defensive. Anyone relate to that at all? No? Just, just me and my marriage? Okay, just, just us, honey. That's just us who do that. But it's just easier, right? Because if someone's criticizing, it's just easier. The easiest way to get the spotlight off of me and my junk is to put it on you and your junk. And now we're in an argument. But an argument's easier than being exposed and letting you see who I really am and the worst parts of me inside. 
So where do we push back? Where do we get defensive? Where do we dig our heels in for a fight? Uh, one of the questions my counselor asked me that was really helpful was, where do you notice yourself overreacting in your life? Like, think about the last week. Where have you overreacted? You know, you blew up at the kids over something small, or you, you, know, you spent a ton of time thinking about something that was just a, a little minor thing, or whatever, and then start to ask, okay, Lord, help me see why. Why did I overreact? What's going on there? Sometimes it's because we're trying to protect uh, ourselves, our true selves. We don't want the, the garbage inside to be seen, and so we can get really defensive. Where are we manipulative? And this can show up in lots of different ways. In marriage counseling, uh, this might show up with one spouse uh, always playing the victim so that the other spouse will feel sorry for them and they'll get their way. Or it can be one spouse being really aggressive and intimidating and bullying so that the other one will just submit and do what they say. This can show up as a guilt trip that we lay on somebody because we want to make them feel bad so that we'll do they'll do what we want. Uh, this can be lying, certainly, or half-truths or exaggerations. Like, where am I manipulating things in order to make myself look as good as possible, protect myself from any actual criticism, to get my way and make sure it happens? Uh, where am I being manipulative in my life? Where am I self-promoting? Where am I doing everything I can to lift myself up, to make myself look good? Where am I fishing for compliments? Where am I fishing for likes on Facebook and comments? And I mean, social media, I think we all probably have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. It is a self-promotional tool, right, on every level because I am literally just hand-picking the things that I allow you to see from my life, and I'm only picking the good stuff. I'm not posting a picture of me yelling at my kid last week. I'm not posting a picture where I was in a terrible mood all day and was snapping at everybody. Like, you don't post that stuff. You post the best, living my best life with my chocolate cake, and you filter it, and if my eyes are funny, I just throw that picture out. And even if the picture isn't perfect, I can filter it and filter it and filter it till my face is glowing like a weird ghost man, but you will not see a single blemish or wrinkle on my face. I don't look like a human being, but I don't look like a wrinkled man. And so so we can do everything we can in order to make our lives look incredible because we are not sharing what really goes on. We are hand-selecting things to make ourselves look as good as we can. Separate from social media, uh, where in my life, again, am I, am I just, yeah, putting myself out there, actively trying to make myself look as good as possible? And here's something just for us as Christians, and this is something the Pharisees did. Where am I putting on a super spiritual self? Jesus' complaint about the Pharisees was, you guys say the right things, and you, you talk the talk, and you give the appearance of being very godly and, and very religious, but inside you guys are toxic. Like inside, it's like you're a tomb full of dead bones. Like you're, you're not actually practicing what you preach, but you are giving this appearance that you are so godly and holy. And so where am I doing that? Because again, if I can make everyone think I am way more spiritual, way more holy than I am, then maybe you won't actually see the sin that is there inside of me. So those are just a few things that we can start to notice in our lives. Where am I doing these things? Where am I living out of this false self that I've put up in order to keep myself safe and make myself look as good as possible? We put a tremendous amount of energy into maintaining the facade. 
We put a tremendous amount of energy into holding up this picture that we want the world to see of who we are because we don't want them to actually get to see the real, broken, sinful, failing person that we are also if we are just being authentic, if we are just being honest. I see all four of these. I can see times in my life where they have been in effect, absolutely. So we, we're just trying to be honest about even these things and say, yeah, I can see where I get defensive. I can acknowledge where I'm self-promoting. I can acknowledge all of these things and recognize that the root of why we're doing those things is because we are really trying to make the world think we are something that we're not if we're being honest. And so when Adam and Eve cross the line, when sin enters the world, when right away uh, they're cut off from God, right away uh, everything is broken, sin has entered the world, what's the first thing they did? Do you remember? Covered up. Right, right away, that vulnerability and authenticity and comfort that they had with just being themselves, we're, just, we're naked and we're okay with that. We're comfortable. We don't feel self-conscious. We don't feel ashamed. We feel comfortable entirely with who we are. And then the second that sin enters the world, we got to cover up. And there's a barrier now between us as humans. There's a barrier now between us and God. They cover it up. The instinct when sin shows up was we got to cover up. And humanity has been covering up ever since. We have been putting up the walls. We have been putting on the masks. We've been putting on the false self. Because as we live this life and we walk in sin and we feel the shame and we feel the pain, we don't want anyone to see that. And then we sin against people. People sin against us and we get wounded. And sometimes we have been devastatingly wronged by people in our lives. And so the walls go up and the heart gets hard. We have to cover up. We have to protect ourselves. And there is no judgment for anyone in the room for living out of the false self because we all do it. And it is just a natural reaction to sin and pain and shame in our lives. That doesn't mean it's good, but it's just the natural reaction. We don't have a choice. We got to do something to keep ourselves safe. And so one of the easiest things to do is just to start to push people away and put up our walls and put on our mask and try to protect ourselves in that way. It's not a good thing, but we all do it. And so today we are just highlighting this as the problem, that from the beginning we started covering up. And the funny thing about it all, the great irony of this whole thing, is that we put so much energy into looking a certain way, so much energy in avoiding confronting our sins and our faults, so much energy in trying to look like the perfect husband, spouse, whatever. And the thing is, it doesn't work. It fails every time. The real self always comes out. We can keep up the facade for a little while, and maybe if we're just in passing on a Sunday morning, like, that's fine. Like, maybe we are able to maintain it for a little while. But if you were to spend a weekend with me and my family, like, by Sunday night, you'd have a pretty good idea of what my issues and faults were. You would have seen me failing as a dad in there. You would have seen me failing as a spouse. And, and hopefully you wouldn't be judging me on it. But I'm just saying, like, if you actually spend time with anyone, it all comes out. The facade doesn't work. Who we really are, for better and for worse, it just, it comes out. And so it's just so, it's the, it's the silliness of all of the effort we put in to trying to look a certain way, act a certain way, appear a certain way, and it just, it fails. It has a 100% failure rate. To actually spend time with someone is to get to know who they are, warts and all. And, you know, we are wanting Meadowbrook, we are wanting our relationships here to be a place where we say, I see you, warts and all. I love you, warts and all. Like, no judgment here. 
Like, here can be a safe place for you to let your guard down and not feel like you have to pretend to be something that you're not. And so we're just, we're highlighting the problem today. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. We have shared what the problem, surprise, surprise, Jesus is the solution. Jesus wants more for us than what we're living. As the Apostle Paul wraps up his passage, verse 24, he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Again, just acknowledging what is true of all of us. Like, I, I have just laid out this problem. I don't do the good I want to do. I keep sinning where I don't want to sin. I am struggling and I am broken and I can't do this on my own. I am stuck. What a wretched man I am in this sinful, broken condition. Who will rescue me from this body, from this life, from this struggle that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I've laid out the problem, but he's been pointing here the whole time. We've, he's been setting us up. Here is the reality of the human condition. Jesus is the solution. It's the acknowledgement of I can't save myself. I need saving. I cannot fix this problem in me on my own. I, I am wretched on my own. The King James says, what a worm am I? Uh, just, I am done by myself. Who's going to rescue me from this? What am I going to do? How can I save myself? You can't, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus forgives our sin and doesn't just forgive our sin. He doesn't just save us from our sin. He comes to redeem us from the consequences of our sin. So where there is sin, there is forgiveness, but there is also healing. There is also restoration. There is also reconciliation. There is all of the after effects of where we have sinned and been sinned against. Jesus comes to restore. He comes to save and he comes to redeem. And the one who comes to do the saving describes himself this way in John chapter 10, talking about himself as the good shepherd, says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. The one who is doing the saving is the one who knows you. He knows you. And where the instinct was, ah, we've sinned, we gotta cover up right away, even before God, Jesus knows you and loves you anyway. He knows you, warts and all, and he died for you anyway. He is the safe place where we can learn to be authentic, where we can acknowledge our sin and our faults before him, because he knows them all anyway, and he loves you more than you can possibly imagine, so much so that he was willing to die for you. That's how committed he is to saving you and making you better. He knows his sheep. He knows you. And that's not actually a scary thing. That's an incredibly liberating thing to say, I can put my trust in the Savior who actually knows me, and not just knows me and loves me anyway, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We are in a process of renewal and restoration. He is redeeming what has been stolen and what has been broken. He is healing what hurts and what has been uh, shameful. He is coming to deliver us in every way out of our sin and out of the effects of our sin so that we can be who he has actually created us to be. And so as we go through the rest of the series, we'll be going into this more and more authentic, becoming who we really are. Not living behind the mask, but being able to say, I, I know who God has created me to be, and I want to start living out of that. 
And so we want to be able to be authentic with God. We want to be able to be authentic with ourselves and just honest about who we are. And we want to be able to be authentic with one another. Not that you need to like bear your dirty laundry in front of the world, certainly. But to be able to have people in our lives that we can be our true selves, we can take off the mask, we can live out of who God has created us to be. David Benner is a Christian psychologist and counselor, and he wrote a book uh, called The Gift of Being Yourself, and some of today's sermon was influenced by him, but he says it this way, the only hope for unmasking the falsity that resides at the core of our being is a radical encounter with truth. Nothing other than truth is strong enough to dispel illusion. And that's where we're going to go for the next couple of months. We just want to have a radical encounter with the truth of God's word, who he says that we are, so that we can live out of that truth. Because Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And so we want to walk in that freedom of being the person that he has created us to be, trusting that he is good and that we are safe in his hands. And so we want to worship the one who has saved us, the one who knows us, and the one who is good today. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please, as we get ready to close with worship. I think one of the practical things when I think about being authentic is Sunday mornings, uh, at least in our household at times, where you're trying to round up the kids and get ready for church, and you and your wife or your spouse have an argument, a conversation, and the kids aren't listening well, and they're not eating their breakfast. And on the way to church, you're yelling at them, and I've done that. If you don't behave, you're not going to church today. You know, that's not a great consequence, is it? Yeah, we all do that, don't we? I was talking to some parents recently who were coming here on a Sunday morning, and they are having a struggle at home in the morning. Big fight with the kids, and they walk into the door, and we put on our big smiley faces. How are you? Well, I'm doing good. And yet, there's a disconnect in our spirit, isn't there? We've all been there. Every single one of us. I've often put masks up in my life. Uh, to hide behind my pain, my insecurity. We've all done it. And what's amazing is we're all in this together. And when we think about all of us can take an extra step to take off that mask, it just makes a big difference, doesn't it, in our lives. There's hope in that. There's encouragement in that. Because Jesus is saying to us, just come. Come as you are. Because he knows. He knows everything. And I understand that fear of letting people see who we are because sometimes we might think, well, they're not going to like me anyway. And that's a scary thought as well. And so we come to church today and you think about the journey you're in, the, the journey I'm on and all of us that we want to just take a small step and take off that mask. And so we can be in this together even more so in community as we talk about as well. And as you think about being authentic, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you this week and the things that are going on and bring those things to the throne. And it's just a good place to start, isn't it? Jesus. Good place to start and a great place to end as well. Because it's all about him in our lives. And I hope you're encouraged by that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you love us and that you're with us. And I pray, God, that you would continue to lead us in all things. That even today, as we go home and we have lunch conversations, that you would already begin to remove those masks. And I pray, the Lord, the pain that we may have the hurt that might be there, help us to find a place where we can share those things. I pray, Lord, that if there's folks looking to get connected to a life group, that that would be a spot where they can find that, that community and safety and encouragement. So Lord, thank you that you know us so well, more than we know ourselves. And I pray we walk into the strength of that today. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen. Hey, before you leave, just a reminder as well. We've got people out front that are trained and ready to pray with you. If the Lord has left something on your heart that you want to walk through, we encourage you to come forward as you leave. And as people are visiting here and getting prayer, we ask you to visit in the foyer and down the hallway. Have a great Sunday.